0: You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek.
1: I'm Drew Leiter.
0: And I'm Cletus Jacobs.
1: And welcome to episode 321 of the Earth Station DCU! Tonight, we're going to talk The Human Target number 10, Danger Street number 2, Batman and the Joker, The Deadly Duo number 3, Batman Urban Legends number 23, I Am Batman number 17, The Flash number 790, Wonder Woman number 795, Lazarus Planet Alpha number 1, and Green Lantern Beware My Power animated movie. But before we get into that, let's talk some DC news. All right, Cletus. First up for DC News, writer Jeremy Adams and artist Zermanico, the Flashpoint Beyond creative team minus co-writer Jeff Johns will launch a Green Lantern ongoing series in May. The new series spins out of Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths. Sector 2814 has been quarantined by the Order of the Guardians of Oa and Hal Jordan, Sector 2814's Green Lantern is quarantined as well. A heartbreaking defeat has sent Hal Reeling, returning home to discover his roots, and find the man responsible for ruining his life, Sinestro.
0: I'll be curious to see, you know, how the writing is on the book, Drew, but the premise sounds promising because it sounds like the kind of Green Lantern story that I I am more interested in. And to be clear, again... I admit Hal Jordan is my favorite lantern, so I'm going to be biased towards a story that features him. But it doesn't have to be him. It could be any of the lanterns, but it just it, it, this seems to be the Green Lantern Corps, as we know it, acting as a police force and galactic stuff and not the sort of weird militia army and whatever all over the place, but not actually Green Lantern stuff we've been getting the last couple years. Very frustrating. So I I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about this book.
1: I'm kind of curious exactly what's going to be going on. It's it sounds 2814. I wonder why it's quarantined, and I'm wondering why Hal's stuck there. It, it'll be interesting seeing him just patrol his own sector, yeah, and not going to Oa or anything else. So it'll it'll be interesting. I, I'm interested in what's going on, what what's behind Sinestro ruining his life,
0: and I mean, is, which time?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I wonder. Is this gonna be Yellow Lantern Sinestro or what? Where, where where is Sinestro right now? That's what I'm curious of. So it'll it'll really it'll be interesting, and I'm kind of glad we're gonna see a uh, creative team that was part of the Flashpoint Beyond because you know that was uh, that was better storytelling and better artwork on that miniseries. So.
0: Yeah, like I said, Drew, I'm cautiously optimistic about the book. I, I can't get, I can't go too far because it's been a bit since we've had a good Green Lantern. The best Green Lantern book that we've read recently was the Morrison one, which was weird, <laughs> to put it lightly. Like, it was good, but it was weird. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be nice
1: to read a good Green Lantern story that you can understand fully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next bit of DC News. Fans of HBO Max's Harley Quinn The Animated Series are getting a special Valentine's gift on February 9th as Harley and Ivy return for Harley Quinn's A Very Problematic Valentine's Day Special.
0: I'm excited, Drew. I I think you finished the season. I need to finish the latest season of Harley Quinn. We got about halfway through and then got distracted by other shows. And I'm still enjoying the heck out of the show. It's not a matter of the quality. I just... We watch so many shows for the podcast and there's other things that we want to watch. So I got to get caught up so that we can watch that because I'm excited for it.
1: Yeah, I uh, I finished it at some point. I, I know exactly what you mean because I get sidetracked from things myself. Shoot, it took me a year to finish the, the Hawkeye series. <laughs> I started it. So <laughs> I started it one Christmas and didn't finish it till the next Christmas. So <laughs> I know how that happens. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about it too. So it, I was not expecting anything Harley Quinn for a while. So the surprised they put a special out for it. So well, I'm excited about it.
0: I think that's pretty promising, too, Drew. Because you know where we're at with these, you know, the long term prospect of some of these shows. Harley Quinn is going to be a safer bet because she's such a major character and such a popular character. But I feel like her getting a Valentine's special is just this, another. Level of reassurance that that show is likely sticking around.
1: Yep, agreed. All right, on to our next bit of DC news. The Batman's Colin Farrell confirms that the HBO Max Penguin series has an eight-episode count. So it was it was good to hear something about it, and I believe I believe the article said that they were going to be start filming maybe later this year. So.
0: I'm very, very excited for that show, Drew. I just, I think that has the potential to be really good. One of the, we talked about it when we reviewed the movie. I was pleasantly surprised that Penguin was not the, you know, a top guy. You know what I mean? Like he was, he was more of like a mid-level manager, right? Like he he was important, but not that important. And we saw that start to change at the end of the movie. And we know that's kind of where the show is going. And I think that just has the potential to be really good. And Colin Farrell was just awesome as penguin, So Drew, I'm um, I, I really I really am looking forward to that show. Of course I'm probably gonna end up being disappointed because I feel like that's how it goes, but <laughs> as of now, I can't wait, man. I that is as soon as they announced that they were doing that, I was like, Oh, that's gonna be good.
1: Yeah. So and it should be pretty focused with it only being eight episodes too.
0: I agree. Yeah, that I don't think that hopefully it shouldn't suffer from dragging the story out because like you said, eight's not that many. Not too short. Um, I doesn't, I don't feel like that would be too long either. So I think that's about what Watchmen was, wasn't it? Close. I believe so. God, uh, that was such a good show. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if, yeah, if we're, if we're, if Penguin ends up on the Watchmen level TV show, Drew, oh my gosh, we're in for a treat. So I, anyway, I can't wait. I really, I have high, high hopes for that show.
1: All right. And let's move on to our last bit of DC news. Superman and Lois cast Michael, Kolitz. Colitz. As Lex Luthor for Season 3, according to the official character description, Lex Luthor is known to the world as the visionary billionaire behind Corps. But secretly, the criminal underworld knows who Lex really is, a brutal psychopath who terrorizes anyone who crosses his path. When Lex debuts this season, it's been years since he dropped out of the public's eye, and he's reemerging emerging hell-bent on correcting a personal injustice by enacting revenge on the two people he feels have wronged him, Superman and Lois.
0: I, uh, confused, I feel like this show is a very confusing background that we aren't, like, we, like, backstory that we're not fully up to speed with as the audience. I thought we knew Lex was bad within that world. Am I misremembering? I don't remember, (laughs) Cletus. One of the things that, the problem is, one of the things that the show suffers from is that it very clearly spun out of Supergirl, but then... Almost immediately was like yes, but not really. <laughs> it's the same actors, but we're not really attached to Supergirl. But that's sort, of, but then that sort of so it sort of struggled in that regard to be clear as to what exactly has and hasn't happened for them. I, it's fine, Drew. I'm fine with the general public not being aware that Lex Luthor is a villain, but it doesn't sound right with what I feel like we've been told about Lex. I know, okay. I, again, I know we've not seen him before, but I I thought that he was pretty well established as being Superman's main nemesis, even even though we haven't seen him.
1: I honestly can't remember. And I know this, the Superman and Lois story takes place on a different Earth than the other Earth. Right, right. So that's that's been established. So that's why Diggle on this Earth was different and some of the other things have been different why we haven't seen Supergirl and stuff. They weren't clear about it at first, it being on a different earth, but
0: it is. But that's sort of what it what has also made it hard to differentiate what has and hasn't happened. I agree, Drew. It's very clear that this is not part of the old CW universe, and that's, and that's fine. It's clearly better for the prospects of the show. I get that. But when they keep reusing actors like bringing Diggle in after they had already kind of established that these weren't connected... It makes it hard to be like, well, wait, so wait, what what has happened? And you know what I mean? Yeah, I, mean, I know exactly. Back, the backstory is just very unclear, and I, if two people who are very familiar with comics are getting confused at what the status quo of the show is, I, I don't know how good that is for a show targeted towards the kind of audience that CW wants.
1: That's true, but. Honestly, Cletus, I don't think it's going to matter after this season.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, I would agree.
1: But it'll be interesting to see their version of Lex in this and how how different it is from other versions of Lex we've seen. All right, well, that wraps up our DC News for this week. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll do our comics talk. You know what now is a great time for? A promo for Soul Forge Podcast. We talk about love. Loss. Tattoos. Sex. Dating.
0: Stupid things we do for love.
1: Pop culture. Mental health. We've had author interviews.
0: Adventures.
1: And shenanigans. What? Soul Forge Podcast.
0: Where? We're everywhere. Soul Forge Podcast. Subscribe today. Forge your soul.
1: It's time for a promo for the Epsilon 3 podcast. The Epsilon
0: 3? What do we talk about?
1: It's a Babylon 5 rewatch podcast.
0: Babylon 5? What's that?
1: It's the greatest 1990s sci-fi show in history.
0: How are we going to watch it? With
1: glee and excitement. How would we rate those kind of episodes? Out of jump gates. How many jump gates? Out of five jump gates. Because it's Babylon 5. That is correct. If you go to Zahadum, you will die. But you know what you won't do? You won't die listening to the Epsilon 3 Podcast, right here on the ESO Network. And we're back. But before we get into this week's comic books talk, we got to let you know, there's going to be spoilers. We got spoilers. 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 We got spoilers. Spoilers. For you. We got spoilers. Spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers, we've got spoilers, spoilers, for you, for you. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Alright, let's talk the human target number 10. Christopher pours a drink for Ice and himself. Christopher toasts the young and Ice toasts them as a couple. The two kiss and then Ice goes unconscious because Christopher has drugged her. Christopher knows she will be out for the rest of the day. Yesterday, Christopher realized that Guy Gardner may still be alive. He might have faked his own death. Christopher thinks that ICE possibly helped him. Christopher needs to find out why. It is day 10, and Christopher has only three days left. Christopher meets up with Green Lantern Gnort, and they travel to Oa. Gnort gives Christopher access to the Room of Records, which is off-limits to anyone who is not a Green Lantern. Christopher takes a look at Guy's file and discovers there is no record of his death. Christopher takes a look at his own file. Gnort finishes off the flask of liquor. Gnort gets yelled at by one of the guardians for going into the record room without filing the proper access forms. Gnort pukes all over him. When the guardian demands an explanation, Gnort kicks him unconscious. Christopher and Gnort stop at the pharmacy when they return to Earth. Christopher is refilling some sort of prescription. Christopher and Gnort find Guy at Kevin and Keith's bar, which has been closed for the last month for repairs. Guy is shooting pool and not happy to see them. Guy slaps Gnort unconscious with a hand construct. Christopher and Guy fight without the ring. When Guy brings in the ring, Christopher uses Guy's peanut allergy against him. When Christopher stopped at the pharmacy, it was to buy an EpiPen. When Christopher returns home, he tells Ice that he went to visit Guy. Guy confirmed that he faked his death and that Ice told him to hide out for a week. Guy didn't know why, but he thought Ice would go out with him again if he did what he was told. To be continued.
0: Drew, just another great issue of this book. God, I love this series so much. I'm not surprised by the ice twist. I've been kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop with her for a while. I really hope that she's not the one that poisoned Crystal, Drew. That's going to be such a gut punch. Like, I've I've had a feeling that I'm not going to, like, I'm going to like the quality of the ending, but I'm not going to like the ending emotionally, if you know what I mean, Drew. (laughs) I've had that feeling for a while. Man, I don't know. I I keep sitting here being like, I really think Ice is the one that did it, but I don't want her to be. Yeah,
1: I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> After reading this issue, I'm like, oh, she's looking more guilty, isn't she? Yeah. What surprised me, I was not expecting Gnort to be in this. I got to tell you, Cletus, when I first started reading Green Lantern, Guy and Gnort were the main Green Lanterns in the book. And Gnort is just a goofy Green Lantern character.
0: I really liked the. I love the way King wrote him, where he's like just basically completely. I wouldn't say useless, but very clueless to put it lightly, and has like he's so incompetent with his ring that the Guardians built him his own little portal just because they they needed essentially idiot-proof his transportation.
1: (laughs) Uh, It's amazing he even became a Green Lantern. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Back in the day, he was a comedy character and that's how I remember he read in the comic books can't remember that many adventures that you know there's nothing that really stands out to me as any stories he was in but yeah I do remember when I first started reading Green Lantern those two were the main guys in the book (laughs) I really enjoyed this issue too Gnort puking on the Guardian that was freaking hilarious (laughs) another great issue
0: totally agree I uh like I said, I, I just like every time we read another one of these, I'm like, oh my god, I need the next issue right away. I am like chomping at the bit to buy the book of this, Drew. <laughs> like the minute the minute that this gets collected and put in, what hardcover, paperback, I don't care, I'm buying it.
1: All right, well let's move on to our next title for this week, Danger Street number two. The three remaining Dingbats, Nonfat, Crunch, and Bananas, mourn their friend Good Looks, who was killed last issue. Lying on the ground in the cemetery, staring at the blue sky, the dingbats promise to kill whoever did this to their friend. Warlord and blue-skinned Starman check into a motel. Starman thinks they can bring the boy back from the dead using the Helmet of Fate. On a yacht, guests are excited to meet the Commodore. A manhunter swims underneath and places a bomb on the underside of the yacht. After the yacht explodes, the manhunter contacts the Grand Master and informs him that the hunt has commenced. Jack Ryder reports that 37 Americans died in the yacht explosion. Sources are reporting that this could possibly be related to the group of terrorists known as the Outsiders. A group of teenage billionaires known as the Green Team are playing poker while a masked man waits in the other room, with his arms folded across his chest as if waiting for his next mission. On a desk in a glass case, we see an arm that looks like it belonged to Metamorpho. The Creeper has a guy strung up by the name of Nat the Nat and is torturing him for information about the outsiders. Since Nat doesn't know anything about the outsiders, the Creeper expects him to find out. Isaiah, the High Father and the ruler of New Genesis, comes to Apocalypse to inform Darkseid that Atlas the Great is gone and the sky is falling. Darkseid stands up from his throne, walks up to Isaiah and hugs him. The Commodore calls Jack Ryder to praise him on his coverage of the Outsiders and their involvement of the bombing of the Texas oil field. While the Commodore is talking to Jack, the masked man who works for the Green Team shoots Nat the Nat who is tied to a chair. The lady cop from last issue has identified the car involved in Goodlook's death to be a 76 convertible Chevy. It's a unique car. The lady cop has been interviewing dozens of gas station and convenience store employees from around the area trying to find someone who might have seen the vehicle. The lady cop finally catches a break at Kneider Gasoline and Store, where an employee remembers seeing the car. The two passengers were a guy with a snow-white beard and a guy with blue skin. To be continued. So, Cletus, after reading this issue, are you convinced that the Dingbats and the Green Team are different kids now?
0: Yes, I am. I really was not convinced after the first issue, though I have to admit. But you, Drew, you had talked me out of it by the after we had talked on the podcast. because like, because I didn't, I knew nothing about them, so I didn't even know either of them were pre-existing characters. I didn't so. know
1: anything about them either. With before I did research on the internet for last episode. The last episode we talked about this, so that's how I found out about it. But I'm glad this issue cleared that up.
0: Yes, I agree. It's still a little confusing because there's so many moving parts. It's definitely a story that you're waiting for those pieces to slowly come together into the same story. And so like I feel like I have a slightly better picture of what's going on, but I feel like we're still very nebulous as to what, you know, the crux of the story is. What's interesting is like Darkseid pops up and he's not the bad he doesn't even do something bad, Drew. He hugs his, his brother, I think. High father's his brother, right?
1: My knowledge of the New Gods is limited, and uh, I actually <laughs> actually learned stuff reading this issue that I didn't know before. So I, I found the Dark Side stuff fascinating. So I, I'm hoping we get more of that. But uh, yeah, there was a lot of moving parts in this in this issue, and um, I I thought I did a pretty good job of summing things up in the different sections to make it easier for the listeners to understand what's going on. I, I think it's a little more confusing reading the reading through the comic I mean it's not it's not difficult to understand there's just a lot going on and when I, when I did my note summary it really helped me understand the story more so
0: I'm enjoying this comic Drew but it's one that a little bit like the Batman Catwoman one I feel like I need more issues for the story to become more clear and for the picture to kind of form
1: yeah, I agree with you there because honestly, we don't know exactly what's going on, and to me, it feels like the Green Team is kind of the villains behind this. At least that's what it feels like agree. to me. Yes,
0: no, I, I'm or I'm right there with you. I feel like I thought this issue, the best thing. I mean, I liked a lot of the individual stuff Drew. Like the character work is really good. I just it's just a still unclear. What are we? You know, what's going on? I think we we have an understanding of how these characters are tying in. And you know, ultimately, how they might come together. And I thought that the best thing that this issue did was it thought it made it fairly clear that the Green Team is is the villains at least right now.
1: Right. All right. Well, let's move on to our next title for this week: Batman and the Joker, the deadly duo number three. Dick Grayson wakes up to an alarm going off in the Batcave. The tooth that was embedded in Batman's shoulder last issue seems to have disappeared. The old Wayne Recycling Building. Batman has agreed to take the Joker's place because lives are at stake. There is a mother and father captured and the Joker was supposed to choose which one would live and which one would die. Make the correct choice, both live. Make the wrong choice, both die. The Joker was warned if he didn't show up, both parents would be killed along with their son Thomas. After looking over the evidence... Batman decides the answer to the riddle is that both parents deserve to die. The father, William Gray, is not only abusive, but has a litany of federal charges, including fraud and racketeering. Lisa Gray is not much better with charges of drug trafficking and possession. The son, Thomas, would be better off with his aunt. The mysterious villain tells Batman that the deal was for the Joker only. Both William and Lisa were doomed the minute the Joker didn't show. However, Thomas' life will be spared. Batman tries to break through the glass, but, but it doesn't work. Both parents die. Back at the Batcave, Batman returns to find that Dick and Alfred are dealing with a bat that ate the tooth that had been embedded in Batman's shoulder last issue. The tooth turned the bat into some kind of Joker bat. Even though the bat ate the tooth, the tooth seems to be eating the bat. After some research, Batman decides he needs to look into Simtech Industries. Bruce Wayne meets with Donald Sims at the cemetery and begins asking him about SimTech's stem cell research that Donald shut down because it was a dead end. Donald's only concern seems to be revenge against the Joker, Batman, and the police for the death of his daughter. Batman receives a text from the mysterious villain stating that the Joker has a train to catch. Make sure he is not late. Batman and the Joker leave in the Batplane. Donald Sims learns that someone hacked into SimTech's database and stole information about the stem cell research. Donald Sims looks into the mirror and states that Bruce Wayne has just been added to his list. To be continued. Now, I'm continuing to enjoy this series, Cletus. I had a problem with this mysterious villain wanting joker to decide if the mother or father should die because honestly i didn't get it i don't know why the joker would care first of all second of all i don't think the joker would care which of them died he'd probably tell them to kill them both kill them all i i didn't understand the purpose of that
0: Drew, i agree and the what i don't understand is the comic gets that too drew the comic also is like Batman saying Joker wouldn't care what happened. The lies mean nothing to him. I was like, yeah, so why would he be doing, I drew, I'm right there with you. I, I have not enjoyed this book as much as you. And again, I want to preface that that is just personal taste, I, but like the, it, the plot started to lose me a little bit, this issue. Like I was still kind of interested, but this issue, I was kind of like this. What, what, why would the Joker care? Why would he care? It's implied, it's implied that the villain has Harley Quinn captive, but if I'm being completely honest with you, Drew, even that, I'm not fully sold on Joker caring that much about that either.
1: Yeah, I agree with you because, I mean, we've seen the Joker treat Harley bad in the past before, so, you know, Harley's captured, okay, so, you know, he'd just blow her off. Yeah, I don't get it either. I mean, I still I'm still enjoying the story. I just thought that was weird. So, I I am curious who this mysterious villain is, though. So, I'm I'm curious to find out who that is. All right. Well, let's move on to our next title for this week. Batman Urban Legends number 23. The first story in this is called Nightwing and the Director Part 2 of 2. Nightwing gets a tip about the director from mr coleman whose son was recently killed because of the director nightwing's investigation leads him to a community center and then to an old movie production lot nightwing is hit by a knockout dart nightwing wakes up with a bunch of other actors from the community center their hands are tied behind their backs their goal is to make it out of the labyrinth alive before the cannibal flamingo kills them nightwing takes on flamingo and batgirl shows up to help the Flamingo is brought down and the director's identity is revealed. Nightwing does not think she is working alone though. And the reader learns that Nightwing is correct. Insane. scene. Our next story is Batman and Robin in Hot Pursuit. Robin Dick Grayson is driving the Batmobile with Batman in the passenger seat trying to get away from Firefly. Batman states you were reckless, disobeyed orders, and the Batmobile is scrapped. As a soldier you failed, as a partner... As family, Batman couldn't be happier. It's just going to be a long time before Robin drives the car again. The third story we had was Arkham Academy Part 3 of 3. Lil' Kitten dies at the hands of Killer Croc for making fun of him. Killer Croc promises the same thing to the rest of them. Scorn suit Scorn suit activates. So does Enigmas and the rest of the kids. They fight back against Killer Croc and win. Scorn learns this is really a school to learn how to become a supervillain, a school run by the Court of Owls. The last story we had was Batman and the Murder Club Part 4 of 4. The Court of Owls see to it that Joe Chill is killed before the Waynes are killed. There is a new timeline and the Batman will never be born. John Starr, the time commander, is killed by the Court of Owls. Batman, Nightwing, and Robin fight against the Court of Owls. Alfred takes Thomas and Martha Wayne to see their son. Back at the Batcave, Bruce learns that John Starr froze time the moment he arrived with the judge from the Court of Owls. Bruce takes Thomas and Martha in a joyride in the Batmobile before they have to go back to the past. The next day, Bruce, Dick, and Damian talk about what it is to be family. Batman takes a new perspective. It's not about what he had lost, but what he has gained. The End I don't know about you, Cletus, but I didn't realize this was going to be the last issue of Batman Urban Legends. Until, you know, I saw the cover and I started reading through it and realized, oh, this is the last issue they're doing.
0: I, I wasn't clear, Drew. I, was re- I saw the cover and the cover was like, that ah, really seems like a, this is a last issue cover. And then I noticed that all of the stories were ending the storylines. I'm very bummed by that, Drew. I thought this was the perfect way to keep other Batman characters in story rotation without committing books to them. So I have to admit I was a little I'm a little disappointed that it's over. I mean I didn't love every story we got, but I more often than not enjoyed the stories that we got.
1: I did too, and I thought this is uh this is a perfect way to get those Batman stories out there. And uh I'm disappointed to see that it's going. And it seems like this you know we we've hit the point where the change is coming soon, very soon in our books and titles. So I guess I shouldn't be too surprised it's going away, but I am disappointed. Yeah. So, what did you think about the ending of the murder club?
0: A little underwhelming, if I'm being completely honest with you, Drew. Batman didn't seem that broken up about effectively, willfully sending his parents back to be murdered. And the fight with the owls was underwhelming. I don't know, Drew. It just... Like, it wasn't bad. I did not think it was a bad ending. I just... Uh, there could have been more there.
1: Agreed. I, I found it a little confusing because it, it felt like they said the timeline was changing, but it didn't. I don't know. It, I don't know. I got a little confused with the story. I th- I think it could have been better written. I mean, the, I thought the first three parts of the story were pretty good, but um, I'm I'm with you. I think the ending was a little underwhelming. The Arkham Academy story was just crap.
0: <laughs> Drew, I I don't I don't want to read that story. Like I they felt like they were setting that up to be a future thing that they're exploring. I don't no thank you. <laughs> if I'm being honest with you, Drew, I pass.
1: <laughs> Agreed. The Batman and Robin in Hot Pursuit, I didn't really care for that one. But uh, yeah, the the Nightwing and the director, uh, I found that one interesting. Thought that one was fairly good.
0: The the Nightwing story was great because it just felt like another issue of Nightwing. Like it's the same art. I know it's a different writer. I think it's the artist on Nightwing is also writing this this little side story we got. But it feels like that book, right? So it just feels like we got like a little extra helping. Which no complaints here. So, yeah, I mean, that, that, both issues of that have stuck out because, I mean, there's just a different level of quality that we're getting there than what we normally get production wise on some of these stories.
1: Yeah, agreed. So, that was a pretty good story. So, and I, it felt like this issue wrapped up fairly well. I mean, with the, uh, the, 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 with the murder club story ending with the, you know, kind of, family feeling at the end i don't know it it felt good to me the way it ended all right well let's move on to our next title for this week i am batman number 17 lucius fox tells jace that he was unfaithful years ago when he started working at wayne enterprises things at home were not good and he felt alone and he met elena aoki Jace gets into an argument with both Lucius and Tanya. Tiffany tries to talk some sense into Jace, but he storms out. Jace contacts Hadia, who asks him what is going on. Jace states she is not his mother. Hadia tells Jace he's not making any sense. Jace changes his mind, stating that Hadia doesn't have time for him anyways and hangs up. When Val returns to Batman's HQ, Tiffany is suited up and waiting for him. Until Jace can get himself together, Tiff and Val will have to take the lead on finding his mother. Ball tells Tiffany that Ezekiel King heads up a domestic terror militia called the Moral Authority. He believes that the world is run by a hidden agenda implemented by big tech on behalf of rich elites. His solution to the problem is extortion, targeted assassinations, and indiscriminate killing. Ball tells Tiffany that without Jace, she is going to need backup. Tiffany meets up with Detective Chubb, who is not happy to see her. Detective Chubb gives Tiffany five minutes to free the hostage before the shooting begins. Hattie calls Val, telling him that she knows everything and wants to know where Jace is. Tiffany takes on the guards on the roof and is about to sneak in when Batman shows up. Tiffany calls Detective Chubb and tells her that there are only four of them. Give them five more minutes and they are theirs. Batman and Tiff storm the castle. Ezekiel King has more than four guys. He reveals an army. Batman and Tiff try to take them on, but they get captured. Detective Chubb and her men try to storm the place, but are also outgunned. Right when Ezekiel King is about to shoot Batman in the head, the place fills with smoke. Nobody has arrived.
0: Drew, I, we've talked about this before. I am I'm just confused at what the continued character assassination of Lucius Fox is for? Why? Why Why does it, like, it feels like every time we get some big reveal, it just makes Lucius worse. And I don't, I, I mean, it works, I guess, for the story, Drew. I just don't understand because, again, comics aren't, this story isn't finite, right? I'm sure at some point this writer will leave the book. But presumably, you know, this new Batman's gonna stick around. That's the hope, right? The hope is that this character sticks and that that's a character that keeps going. You know what I mean? It's like this story's gonna keep going. These things that we're doing to Lucius Fox's character might work for the story that he's telling, but ideally, Drew, the nature of superhero comics is that he's not gonna be the only one telling the story. I I know it's a fictional character, Drew, and you could do whatever you want with them, but it's just confusing to me that what has been a classically a Batman ally who's really only ever been a positive influence, at least in the stuff that I've read, I've never read anything that's portrayed him poorly. I mean, it's just been repeatedly like, oh, no, actually, Lucius Fox is kind of a scumbag. (laughs) I don't know. It feels like this
1: writer doesn't like him for some reason.
0: But, you're, but you understand like how much that undercuts a lot of other Batman stories where Lucius serves as the voice of reason
1: yes I I understand that but you've also mentioned in the past that you notice this writer doesn't seem to like the regular Batman
0: that's true I I will give you that but like it doesn't it, like the the Lucius that was getting is getting portrayed here I can't even see him ever being Voices. He seems to only exclusively do very self-serving, terrible things. I don't get it. I I know that that might seem like a nitpick, but like I don't, I don't understand, Drew. Like this, this story isn't self-contained. It is attached to the rest of the DC world, and it will continue after this writer's done. And I just, I, it's the same thing that bothers me. And I've said this before with a lot of Williamson stuff, where he makes these big, bombastic choices with the intent of them being legacy choices. I'm like, but that's a terrible choice. And now every writer that comes after you is going to have to either just pretend you didn't write it or contend with the fact that you wrote this garbage.
1: (laughs) I don't know if it's going to stick, Cletus. That remains to be seen. There's been other characters in the past where writers have wrote stuff and it's disappeared in DC history. You know what I mean? Unless you go back and look, you'd be like, oh, I never realized that actually happened.
0: Oh, I agree, Drew. I'm not saying it's a lock that Jace is going to stick, but DC seems pretty intent to try to make him stick, right? Um, So let's, I'm trying to be glass half full in terms of the long-term prospects of this character. I'm I'm not talking about,
1: and I'm not talking about Jace himself. I'm talking about Lucius's history. That might not stick.
0: If Jace sticks around, I don't know how you can, not you have to keep that stuff, Drew. That's the problem. Like, that. this is the thing. It's one thing to portray Lucius as a little bit of a jerk. It's another thing now to have Jace have a different mom. Like, you can't... It's the same thing, Drew, with Dick Grayson now having a sister. He just has a sister now.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: You know what I mean? Like, you can, you can ignore it. You can write it out. Like, just not acknowledge the fact that Dick has a sister. But for the rest of DC history... Dick's probably going to have a sister Whether they choose to use her or not Well, That will probably depend But that's there And writers are probably going to touch on it It's the same thing Again, maybe Jace doesn't stick around long term But again, DC clearly wants him to And I would want him to I think he's a good character He's got a different mom You can't like, I just don't know how you can go back on that
1: Yeah, that's true That's true It will be hard to go back on that We got the introduction of Tiff and her costume, I guess she's sticking with that goofy-looking costume. I don't know if that's going to change at some point. I I got the feeling she's not going to adopt the Robin mantle.
0: I would be shocked if she was called Robin.
1: Do you think she's going to get some sort of nickname, though? Or a uh, code name?
0: I think you have to. I don't know that you can get away with not doing that. I mean, they gave their silly version of the question a different name. I don't know how she can't get some... Again, I don't think it'll be Robin. I don't think... Um, but it, it's definitely going to be someone.
1: Yeah. Well, that was the other thing I didn't get. We got this new version of the question. Why are we calling her nobody?
0: <laughs> Cause she's not the question. Cause Renee Montoya is the question is the only thing I can think of drew.
1: Are they going to stick with Renee being the question then? Are we going to see her as the question anymore? See, I thought they were moving to this new character, but is that only in this book? Only in this title? And maybe that's I why they. yeah. Maybe that's why. I would be
0: surprised if we see this character much outside of, outside of this book. Again, it depends on the long-term success of Jace's book. If we're being honest, Drew, like if he sticks, if he is a long-term successful character, and and this nobody sticks around, then yeah, then we're gonna see her in other stuff. But I think that has to kind of be proven.
1: Okay, I, I agree with that. And if we do see her, she's gonna still be nobody. And we'll probably have another question hanging around. And who knows, they may team up at some point, too. (laughs) I mean, Renee and her know each other anyway, so. Anything else you want to say about this title?
0: No, I just wish that he didn't hate Lucius Fox so much. He seems to really like the rest of the family. I just don't, I don't, I don't get it, Drew. It's the same thing where he clearly, I, it has come across to me, like you mentioned, that he doesn't care for the Batman character, which is odd. Because he's writing a Batman book. <laughs> and on the same thing, it really doesn't seem like he cares much for the Lucius character, which is odd because he's chosen to make this Batman character part of Lucius's family.
1: I know, that is odd. I still am enjoying the series, though.
0: I agree. No, I agree. I like the book. There's just some things that frustrate me.
1: Yeah, agreed. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week. The Flash, Never 790. The West family is having a cookout. Suddenly, everyone looks up in the sky. Something is flying overhead. Elsewhere, Max Mercury plans to run into the future. Something in the sky makes him stop in his tracks. Jesse Quick and Our Man are battling Lion Man when suddenly Jesse notices that everyone is frozen in time, including Our Man. Some villains are surprised when they open up a stolen truck to find Kid Flash instead of the stolen merchandise. Bart Allen shows up and takes out all the men. Bart and Wallace are arguing when something flies by them in the sky. Jay Carrick is at a bar when he notices the whole place goes quiet. Everyone seems to be frozen in time. When Jay looks out the window, an object is flying overhead. Iris is having dinner with Barry when she asks where their relationship is going. A flustered Barry can't seem to give a straight answer. Iris asks Barry to marry him when all of a sudden everyone is frozen in place. Suddenly, there is a giant boom and the glass shatters at the restaurant. Barry grabs Iris, but is knocked over by a shockwave. When Barry digs Iris out of the debris, she is unconscious, possibly dead. Barry shouts, no. To be continued.
0: Drew, were Barry and Iris not married? i It's been a while since we've been reading Barry as the main character. I honestly was not up to date on the that status.
1: They are not married right now. And, um... I don't remember why not. <laughs> I Were they not... I can't think... I'm trying to think back all the way to the beginning of Rebirth. I can't remember... I don't think they were married.
0: Uh, they weren't in a relationship for a lot of the New 52, and I think Rebirth reestablished them as a couple. So I think that's kind of where we've been at. I think they never just fully progressed back to marriage, Drew.
1: Yeah, and I'm kind of curious, you know, what what their plan is. Are, are they going to move on from Iris with Barry maybe or not? That, that I am I was kind of, when we got to the end of the issue, I was kind of iffy, you know, yeah, did they actually kill Iris? Probably not. But it, if they want to move Barry a, on from Iris and do something different, I mean, this is a perfect opportunity to do it.
0: I, I agree, Drew, but I don't, I would be a little surprised if that was actually the case. I don't know. I, I just, I don't see it. I don't, I would be very surprised if they like killed Iris, actually killed Iris and actually had Barry move on. I'd be uh rather surprised because <laughs> I know they moved away from it in the new 52 and they did that for a lot of characters, but they've gotten away from that. And there are multiple generations of people that have been, accustomed to say the least to Barry and Iris being a thing
1: yeah I won't argue with that but uh I was just curious if maybe that's what they were doing for sure they're trying to establish the West family as the as the center of this book for sure so Barry is taking a back seat to um, Wally again in this title of course the first time he was dead so he couldn't <laughs> after crisis on Infinite Earth but when I started reading The Flash back in the late 80s, early 90s, I was first introduced to Wally. But anyways, they're they're obviously wanting the West family to be the center of this Flash book, and I don't have a problem with that. I like, I like seeing Wally interacting with his kids and stuff. I like the family atmosphere of this book.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. It would be weird if this story wasn't centered around the West family, Drew, because that's what this book has been. I mean, it's been... Uh, Wally's book, so I, I'm right there with you. It would be weird if it became a Barry book.
1: I've been enjoying. I've been enjoying the Flash run. It's been a fun series. I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure about the story yet. I mean, it's not. Uh, this this is supposed to be an event, but it doesn't feel like it's going to be an impactful event. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I, I almost am annoyed that they're calling it an event. I, it feels like it should just be a story within this book.
1: Yeah, I won't argue with you on that. Alright, let's move on to our next title for this week. Wonder Woman number 795. On an ancient floating temple, Wonder Girl Yara Fleur joins Wonder Woman in her battle against Eros. Eros is not really there, but he is using a giant statue as an avatar. Eros fires an arrow at Diana, which he blocks with her bracelets. The force of the weapon still slams her into a wall. Yara punches down the statue, but Eros gets back up. Wonder Woman and Yara Fleur bind up the statue with a lasso of truth and ask Eros why he's here. Eros explains that the gods are dying. The gods have been isolated too long and time has moved on. Mortals have forgotten them. Hera aims to fix that. A new era begins and Eros wants Yara Fleur at his side. If the Amazons won't join Hera, she will destroy them. Meanwhile, on the streets below, the titan Hyperion appears. He's older than time itself. Father of the sun... The Moon and the Dawn. Even though his leg is still injured, Steve Trevor takes Cheetah's motorcycle to draw the Titan away from the crowd. Siggy joins him. Siggy attacks the Titan as it chases Steve on the motorcycle. Wonder Woman joins the fight against Hyperion, while Yara Fleur handles Eros alone. Suddenly, Hera's voice booms throughout the city, giving a speech and proclaiming herself queen and asking people to join her because forever is at stake.
0: I was surprised at what happened with the arrow, Drew. I thought for sure the arrows had shot someone. I was so confident that like either Siggy or Steve was about to take an arrow to the chest. And instead, we just got this mob all in love with Diana, which was a really great twist because it totally caught me off guard, Drew. And it left me like, oh, that's kind of interesting. What exactly is their plan with that? Like that? That really excited me for the next issue.
1: It confused me. I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> I wasn't even sure how to sum that up. Because <laughs> it I just felt like a weird twist to me. I'm like, what's going on here? Why is everybody fawning over Wonder Woman? How does that help
0: Hera? Because, remember, Diana is supposed to be a god, and they are effectively worshipping her, which is really what Hera's plan is, right, is to get belief back in the Greek pantheon. I don't know. It, I feel like that's kind of where they're going, Drew, is like, potentially Diana is going to have a harder time stopping their plan if they're also worshiping her.
1: Yeah, I guess that would be a problem, wouldn't it? I can tell you one thing. I, I love the Siggy and Steve in this. <laughs> the, yes, the way, I did too. The way those two have partnered up, I, I've loved it. Both of them hop on the motorcycle to go chase down the Titan, which is a lot more powerful than them. <laughs> But yeah, I'm still enjoying this story. We also had a backup young Diana story. Diana is excited to join the once-in-a-century ceremony to pay respect to all her fallen sisters. Hippolyta has tasked Diana with fetching Magala so Diana can carry the emerald green flame. When Diana finds Megala, she is unconscious and the emerald green flame has been stolen. Diana chases after the perpetrator and discovers herself in Hades. The thief is none other than Hades' wife, Persephone.
0: I was a little surprised by the Persephone reveal there, Drew. I'm curious what is going to be the next story, but it was weird. It said to be, I thought it said to be concluded It's like this storyline's wrapping up. Next issue, again, I'm assuming The Young Diana will continue, but this little arc is going to wrap up in, in just a second story, which they're so short, I am questioning what story can even be told in that short of time.
1: Yes, and uh, the month before it said to be continued. This didn't feel like a continuation of the story before. This felt new to me and much more interesting than what we've been reading.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I took it to be continued as in Young Diana is continuing, but that we're getting a different Young Diana story. It feels to me, Drew, like this, as as long as the writer and artist for the Young Diana part are on board, that this is just permanently the backup story for Wonder Woman, which I'm fine with when they're doing something interesting with it. But sometimes they've just been kind of boring, to put it politely.
1: Alright, well let's move on to the last title for this week. Lazarus Planet Alpha number one. Robin Damian Wayne is flying a plane that is carrying Batman, Talia al Ghul, and Black Alice away from Lazarus Island. Batman is badly wounded and Black Alice is traumatized from her imprisonment by the devil Nezha. Supergirl sends out a planetary alert calling for anyone not already engaged to report to the Hall of Justice immediately. Supercharged weather conditions created by a mysterious magical rain are blanketing the earth, creating life-threatening damage with typhoons, tornadoes, and level five thunderstorms. The rain's magical energies seem to be overloading technology and causing mechanical objects and conveniences to stop functioning. The plane that Damien is flying stops working and crash lands into the Hall of Justice. It is stopped from causing further damage by Supergirl and Power Girl. Gathered at the Hall of Justice are Supergirl, Power Girl, Cyborg, Blue Beetle, Jaime Reyes, Blue Devil, Monkey Prince, Cyborg, Lady Shazam, Xantana, Batman, Talia Al Ghul, and Robin. Damian Wayne. Robin takes charge, informing the others that they are at war with an ancient evil that goes by the name King Fireball. Robin divides the others into two teams. Team 1 consists of Lady Shazam, Xantana, Power Girl, Cyborg, and Blue Beetle. Their goal is to gain access to the Tower of Fate and bring back all the magical objects that Nezah drained of magic. Black Alice is going to fix them. Team 2 consists of Batman, Talia, Blue Devil, and Supergirl. Their goal is to find Nezha before King Fire does and does and turn him into an ally. Damien and Monkey Prince are going to stay behind at the Hall of Justice to help coordinate and manage any late arriving heroes. When Team One attempts to break into the Tower of Fate, they are greeted by one of Kingfire Bull's lackeys, Silver Horn King. Xantana seems to be familiar with him and tells Power Girl that he is bad news. The Himalayas. Team Two has tracked down the devil Nezha to Razal Ghoul's old lair where Batman suspects that Nezha is trying to recover. Trying to repower himself with Lazarus Resin. Team 2 is greeted by King Fire Bull's other lackey, Golden Horn King, who has also come to retrieve Nezha. Back at the Tower of Fate, Team 1 is battling against Silver Horn King and his magical wolves. Lady Shazam uses her lightning to attack the tower directly, and they discover all the magical users inside Phantom Stranger, John Constantine, and many others. Batman and Talia enter Raza's lair to find Poison Ivy and Swamp Thing already battling against Nezha. They join the fight along with Supergirl and Blue Devil defeating Nezha. Suddenly, something takes possession of Batman. Back at the Hall of Justice, King Fire Bull appears and confronts Robin Damian Wayne. The war rages across the planet in DC Universe Lazarus Planet. Witness Damian's last stand in Lazarus Planet Omega. We also had a backup story on this. The Hall of Justice. Monkey Prince learns from Pigsy the history of Monkey King and Nezah and how they were frenemies. King Monkey recruits Nezah to help him battle against King Bull Demon. As the King Bull Demon battles the two, Nezah's heavenly sash is ripped off him and his true form is revealed. Monkey King gets the sash back and Nezah puts it back on, transforming him back into a virtuous lad. Centuries later, when King Bull Demon is killed, Nezha adopts his son, Red Boy. Red Boy eventually becomes King Fire Bull, the enemy our heroes fight in the main story. Monkey Prince learns that the Pigsy he is talking to is a clone. The real Pigsy is in the clutches of Nezha. The clone tells Monkey Prince not to rescue Pigsy because the heroes need him. To be continued in Monkey Prince number 10.
0: Drew, the backup stuff with Monkey The monkey King... Boy. Woof!
1: <laughs> I agree much. with you. I was uh, I was dreading reading it.
0: It's <laughs> just like what I just so it's just too much. And I understand it was trying to get that feel of that mythology, and I was just like I just don't really care. <laughs> What's interesting is it seemed like Nezha is potentially redeemable if you slap that sash on him. <laughs> So that felt like a peek into something we're probably going to end up seeing with this story. I, Drew, I just, I am curious to see where this main Lazarus Planet story goes overall. This doesn't feel like what I'm accustomed to getting from Mark Wade, and I'm just a little bit surprised that he's the one writing it, if I'm being honest.
1: Yeah, I am not going to disagree with you on that. Unfortunately the main storyline is going to cross into the Monkey Prince title. So we are going to be reading a few issues of it. Not only does it cross into Monkey Prince, it crosses into Wonder Woman. So I'm wondering if the current Wonder Woman story is going to wrap up, or if this event is just going to interrupt that story.
0: I assume it's just going to interrupt it. I think this is going to interrupt everything, which is one of the reasons why I hate that both Marvel and DC just keep cycling through these line wide events because it just takes a wrecking ball to what everybody else is trying to work on very frustrating
1: yes and i i honestly don't see where this is going yet (laughs) you know what i mean how's this affecting dc universe on a whole what is it going to change is it supposedly permanently change something or is this just temporary and then we're going back to same old same old
0: i'm sure there'll be some sort of change i don't know man i i just I'm 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 frustrated that we're doing this right away Drew. We haven't even gotten to catch our breath from dark crisis and we're already doing this and I know other books are still sort of off doing their own thing and I hope that that continues because I just don't care. I'm so exhausted with these events and I know a lot of people feel the same way. I just come on, man. And I'm just again, I'm just I'm very very surprised that the stories that some of my favorite mark wade stories drew i feel like are critiques of some of the things that this story is doing and it's just it's it's an odd turn of events i guess
1: yeah i can't disagree with you all right well that wraps up our comic books talk for this week let's take a short break and when we come back we'll talk green lantern beware my power do you like podcasts then
0: you're gonna hate thunder talk tasteless subject matter mature humor contempt for our co-hosts unapologetic social views edgy music and total irreverence for the nerd junk we love are all reasons why no one no one no one should listen to thunder talk find us on the eso network and all podcasting platforms or don't whatever in the mood to listen to some geeky conversations feel like the internet isn't the best place for an in-depth respectful exchange of ideas then head on down to the 42 cast it's a weekly show that covers a new geeky topic in comics tv movies literature or video games every week we can be informative
1: back in my day kids pluto was a planet so it's gonna stay a planet (laughs) irreverent you learn so much
0: from the x-men i mean really
1: that wolverine is the most important character no matter what (laughs)
0: Strange. It's like, you know, Grodd if he went into theology or something. Right? Or controversial. I believe, and I will swear to my dying day, that the Marvel Cinematic Universe began with Howard the Duck. Find us on Stitcher Radio, iTunes, 42cast.com, or esopodcast.com. It's the 42 Cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything.
1: And we're back. Let's talk Green Lantern beware my power. As John Stewart is coming home with some groceries, a spaceship crashes near his home. John checks out the crash to discover a guardian of the universe who is dying. The guardian states he finally found John Stewart as he utters his last breath. His body burns to ashes. Suddenly, a ring appears from under the garment of the guardian, stating, "John Stewart of Earth, you possess singular will. Welcome to the Green Lantern Corps." The ring puts itself on John's middle finger of his right hand and creates his Green Lantern uniform. The ring takes Jon Stewart to the Justice League watchtower, where he meets Green Arrow, Vixen, and the Martian Manhunter, who thinks he's an intruder. The ring states its previous owner was Hal Jordan. John takes Green Arrow back to the ship, which has repaired itself. Green Arrow wants to go to Oa to find out what happened to Hal Jordan. John wants to go to Oa to learn how to take the ring off. When John and Green Arrow arrive on Oa, there are many fallen lanterns. When John finally gets the ring off, he is attacked by a female Thanagarian named Shaira Hall. Shaira explains how the peace was broken between Ran and Thanagar with a zeta-beam device that has attacked their world. How Jordan died trying to save Thanagar. John, Green Arrow, and Shaira head to a Ranian outpost to learn the truth. When the trio reach the Ranian outpost... Everyone is dead. Another Zeta beam is initiated and a man with a rocket pack appears and attacks Shiara. John Stewart prevents Shiara from killing the man who turns out to be Adam Strange. Next, the group travels to Rand where there is a battle in space going on. Adam Strange contacts a Iranian ship in trouble and gains access to its computer. John's ring downloads the information on the Rand-Thanagarian war. The group learns that When the Zeta Beam transported Thanagar to Ran's atmosphere, it caused catastrophic climate disasters. The planet survived, and that's what started the war. Now Sardoth has re-engineered the Zeta Beam into a weapon of total destruction, planet destroyer. Sheara and Strange learn that the ship that attacked Oa seems to be impersonating both Ran and Thanagarian ships to cause the war. After triangulating the ship's escape route each mission, they discover the sector that the ship has been originating from. When our group investigates a hidden outpost, they discover the Sinestro Corps. After a short battle, Sinestro gets the upper hand on John and takes his ring. In prison, the group discovers Hal Jordan in their cell. Hal explains how he was captured by Sinestro. Using Shiera's Ninth Metal Knife, Hal digs through the rock and destroys the conduit that powers the force shield of their cell. The group escapes, grabs their weapons, and flies to Rand to warn them of Sinestro's plan to attack. Their hyperdrive is damaged. The heroes arrive after Sinestro, who's already launched an assault. The heroes are transported by Zeta Beam to Sardass' secret base, where he has been perfecting his Zeta Beam weapon. Sinestro and his core track them to Sardass' secret base and attack. While battling, Sinestro steals John's ring, leaving him defenseless. Sinestro creates a sword to kill John. John calls the ring with his mind, using it to kill Sinestro before Sinestro kills John. As Sinestro is dying, Sinestro states his master will kill them all. Hal betrays the group, stealing Sardas technology. Hal reveals himself to be Parallax. Parallax's plan is to wipe the universe clean and create a newer, better one, like a god. Parallax sets the Zeta Beam weapon to destroy both Thanagar and Ran. Jon Stewart fights against Parallax. John realizes what the Green Lantern Oath really stands for, and John is able to take all the rings from Parallax and defeat him. Parallax gets a second win and tries to kill John. Green Arrow kills him with an arrow through the back. Unable to stop the Zeta Beam weapon from firing, Adam Strange rockets in front of the beam and intercepts it. John Stewart returns to Earth. John decides that there is only one thing left to do, rebuild the Green Lantern Corps. John sends the rings out into the universe to to create new officers.
0: Drew, I, I, uh, I have mixed feelings about this one. As I was watching the film, I was a little confused early on when John didn't seem to know who the Justice League was and didn't seem to know what a Green Lantern was, but then did know what a Green Lantern was. And then he fights the Justice League, and they don't recognize a Green Lantern ring being used, but they do recognize when they see the logo on his chest. And then Sinestro is is acknowledged, acknowledged to have trained Hal Jordan and to have been a former Green Lantern, and yet he repeatedly seems to be unaware that you can call a ring back to your hand In fact, is unaware, sees it happen right in front of him, gets the ring back, tosses it away, and then is shocked when the ring gets called back through him. (laughs) There was just so many moments, Drew, where it was like the writing couldn't decide what was fact and what was was just convenient for the scene.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you on those bits because the story seemed to be confused about some things that were fact and that were not.
0: <laughs> like, John, John has no clue what's going on, has no idea, and then he's like, oh, I've heard of hell. Like, th- Then you know what a Green Lantern is. You know what the Justice League is. He had no, like, there was just so many inconsistencies story-wise. They'd be like, ah, this isn't happening. I'm just kidding. Actually, it is totally happening. It was just like, Wah. get get it straight. As I was watching this, I... When they, when, he, when they show up to Oa and it is completely decimated and they reference that Hal is around, I was like, oh, that would be really interesting if they were doing Emerald Twilight. What a fascinating way to tell that story from the perspective of someone else so that you don't see Hal doing it like you do in the comic. You see somebody else stumbling upon the aftermath and being like, what the hell happened here? And then the story appeared to move away from it. And I was like, oh, well, that's a bummer because I really feel like it'd be more interesting if they did Emerald Twilight. But instead they seem to want to do the Ran Thanagar war, which is also a really good comic story to adapt. So like, OK, bummer. I thought Emerald Twilight would be more interesting. But Ran Thanagar, sure, let's do it. Why not? And then Sinestro's there. And also I want to point out. That Sinestro's ring has the Sinestro Corps logo, but God forbid that his costume have the Sinestro Corps logo, Drew. I noticed that, too. I was like, come on. I'm struggling to be polite here. How freaking hard is it to draw the Sinestro Corps logo on his chest? You have, there are no limitations. It is hand-drawn animation. It's the easiest thing in the world. I'm sorry. I know that that's a stupid nitpick, Drew, but it's not. It is so easy. You know it's easy because you did it on his ring. And then you were like, yeah, but costume design, actually, we know better than the comic that's been very successful for many years because we're better. So we're going to not do that and put a generic lantern on his chest because that's way more visually interesting.
1: Yeah, I had an this issue is with that three myself.
0: Freaking movies in a row, Drew, animated Green Lantern movies that they have made Sinestro a villain and they have not put the Sinestro core logo on his chest. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. I am it, it is beyond baffling that they have done three animated Green Lantern movies and not one time. One time. They just adapt the costume. Every single time, come up with a worse costume.
1: Yeah, I didn't care for that either.
0: Anyway, anyway, going back. So I thought that they were doing Emerald Twilight, but they're like, oh, nope, they've transitioned. They're doing Ran Thanagar. But that's odd, because why else would you have Green Arrow? Like, you have Green Arrow there because you want to set up Parallax. like. So you've got Green Arrow there, and I'm like, oh, that's a zero hour thing. Be, there's a lot of things here suggesting that this is a parallax story, but you're doing Ranthanagar, so that's really seems like a missed opportunity. And then right at the end of the film, they're like, just kidding, it is a parallax story. Surprise. <laughs> and it just kind of frustrated me, Drew. I feel like they tried to do too much. Like it would I thought I thought the pair to adapt Emerald Twilight and sort of essentially also adapt Zero Hour is, I think, a potentially really clever thing to do with a different Green Lantern origin, right? So you make Jon Stewart become a Green Lantern because Hal has broken. I think that on paper, that's a really good idea. I don't like the way that they did it, though, in this movie, for me personally, because it was too busy. You're trying to do Rand, Thanagar Holy War, but on the other hand, actually, just kidding, it's really Hal... And they seemed to have adapted the Parallax virus, but then they didn't really adapt the Parallax entity. It felt like they put that in there and then completely ignored it, Drew. It felt like they showed Parallax infecting Hal and then for the rest of the movie just said, no, it's Hal.
1: Yeah. You noticed in my notes, you know, notice when I retold the story, I just called him Parallax the rest of the time.
0: (laughs) But... But, this, but you know what I'm saying, Drew? The movie shows that and then treats him as Hal. The movie makes no apology for anything that he does after that. There's no inkling from anyone, commentary from anyone, that Hal has been broken by this parasite. Again, they show it happening. They weirdly adapt that, and then they're like, yeah, but it's Hal. Like they basically do straight-up 90s parallax where Hal just breaks and goes bad but then also adapt the retcon where it wasn't really Hal, but then still hold Hal response. You know what? Like, it was... It just... I, on paper, Drew, I loved the idea that they did Emerald Twilight. I just don't like the way that they did it.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, too.
0: Because the problem is, I like I said, for people who don't know, they're probably going to be surprised by the twist, but people like us, Drew, we're watching, and I'm like... There's there's no other reason for Green Arrow to be on, in this story, and then they're mentioning Sinestro. They keep weirdly referencing how like there's a lot of there were a ton of of like hints and signs being like this is actually a parallax story. This is actually a parallax story. Um, and then I I don't know. I think I would have preferred if we had known that par like. I like. I really like the idea of seeing the aftermath of Parallax from someone else's perspective. I thought that that was a really, really good idea, Drew. I just feel like that needed to be the focus of the film. I think you should. I think they could have taken the Rand Thanagar stuff out completely.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. The other thing I had an issue with is. They stated that Sinestro likes chaos and destruction. No, he doesn't. Sinestro likes order and power.
0: They didn't know what to do with Sinestro, Drew, and that was another reason why the, the Parallax twist wasn't really a twist because there was no I'm I was I was relieved to be honest with you, Drew, that they did actually do Parallax at the end. Because if it had just been Sinestro. What an empty villain he was. He had no reason for doing anything. He was nothing... Be- like, he was the the Silver Age version of himself. He was wearing the modern-day costume, but he was Silver Age, mustache-twirling Sinestro, where he is evil for the sake of evil. Within the movie, he they, like you said, Drew, they say he likes chaos and destruction. Like, he does it... He's doing it just to do it. He doesn't have... I thought that they were going to have, like, a full... At one point, Drew, when they stumble onto the base, I thought they were stumbling onto the Sinestro Corps base, and they were about to discover that Sinestro was like, surprise, I've built my own army, and I destroyed the Guardians to surpla- like, essentially supplant them as the galactic police force that being run the way I think it should be run, right? That's the Sinestro we know in the comics. And you see a couple members, and I was like, "Oh, that's what this story is going to be—is that Sinestro? It's a Sinestro core story, essentially. That's really interesting." And it was like, "No, they're just like a terrorist organization with like five people, and then also actually Parallax is their god." Like, ah, <laughs> Drew, I got, I was, I was very frustrated by this film. I, I, it, it is, it's baffling to me that they cannot get Green Lantern right animated in a film when they absolutely nailed the animated show.
1: Yeah, I can't disagree with you on that.
0: (laughs) What's a shame, too, Drew, is I don't know how you do this again. I really, on paper, love the idea of John becoming a Green Lantern in the aftermath. Again, kind of replacing Kyle and making it John and having John discover the aftermath of Parallax. I love that idea, Drew. I absolutely love that idea for a story. I I don't know how you do that again, though. I feel like they essentially tried and wasted their shot.
1: To me... After I finished watching it and we saw the ending where John sends out the ring, it felt like they were planning to do a sequel of it where John restarts restarts the core, and, you know, they were planning, it felt like they were planning on doing another movie with John leading the Green Lanterns, and, you know, what's going on with DC? I don't think there's going to be another movie after this. I don't
0: know. There's no way there is. Also, the movie's frankly not good enough to justify that, so there's that <laughs> <laughs> Also th- some of the voice acting was good, Drew. I this is this might just be personal taste. I thought that the guy voicing John Stewart was noticeably the worst voice actor, noticeably. And that is a hindrance to put it politely on an animated film when your main character is dragging it down like that.
1: I didn't notice, but I was more focused on writing my notes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Some of it was clunky lines. There were a lot of clunky written lines and, and you can only do so much as a voice actor with that. But I just, my girlfriend had or uh, had the same opinion as I did, Drew, and she was like, oh, he's really bad. And I was like, if she's noticing this, because, <laughs> you know, I tend to notice that sort of stuff. And if it's not just me, I really put quite a bit of weight into that.
1: All right. Well, that wraps up our episode for this week. Do you have a shout out, Cletus?
0: Yeah, so I have to shout out about Emerald Twilight. I mean, they clearly are pulling from that. We even get the classic Hal pulling up his hands with all of the rings on his fingers. It's the comic that got me into comics, which is funny because it really (laughs) is not, I think, the most friendly to new readers in terms of what's going on. But I don't know. It was at my local library when I was a kid. I've, I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I was like, Oh, this looks interesting. I read it. I really liked it. And I was like, I feel like I missed something.
1: <laughs> you did, because I was collecting comics when that came out. I have those issues. So I have the issue with Hal Jordan with all those rings on his fingers. So, yeah, it was a great story when it came out. And, I, of course, I started reading the, uh, the issues where Kyle becomes – the new green lantern and the restart of all that so it was a great time to be reading green lantern all right and for my shout out i'm gonna shout out about actually i have two shout outs the first one is the first appearance of john stewart because while i was watching this i was thinking to myself do i actually know john stewart's origin so I had to look it up because I wasn't sure. And it was Green Lantern, Volume 2, Number 87, which was January 1972. John Stewart was selected as a backup for Hal Jordan by the Guardians. So I, uh, I found that interesting. My second shout-out is for Talkville Season 2, Episode 4. It was an episode called Red, where Clark gets his, gets his class ring in it. It has red kryptonite in it. It was written by Jeff Loeb famous comic writer Jeff Loeb who wrote Batman the Long Halloween, Batman Hush, Superman for all seasons. I didn't remember him being a writer on the series. Of course I probably didn't pay attention back then either but uh, I found it very interesting and they had him on the episode talking about his time on Smallville. I found that very interesting. I uh, If you if you want to learn more about that I suggest talking, checking out Talkville season 2 episode 4 Red. All right if you'd like to comment on Anything we've talked about tonight, you can reach us at our feedback line, 317-564-9133. Leave us a message or email us at earthstationdcu at gmail.com. All right, Cletus, coming up next week, we've got Batman, Superman, World's Finest, Batman Fortress, Black Adam, Stargirl, The Lost Children, The New Champion of Shazam, Batman, One Bad Day, Bane. Batgirls, Nightwing, The Flash, Monkey Prince, Lazarus Planet, Assault on Krypton, and the season premiere of The Flash. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. In brightest day, in in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power, green lantern's light. I'm off. Where are you going? I've got to go punch a clock with my other boss. I can see where this is going to be a long commute. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping at the T Public Store, which can all be found at network.